Um, well, good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Scotty. I get the joy of helping shepherd this ragamuffin group of people into the things that God has for us. Uh, if you're new, thanks for coming and, and worshiping with us today. Um, you're joining us in the middle of a series. Um, we're doing a series called Let Worship Arise, where we're exploring what it means to worship. Um, we realize that when you engage in the life of the church, no one really teaches us what worship is supposed to be. You're just kind of expected to pick it up. So we wanted to take some time and explore what it means to be a worshiping community. And this morning as I start, um, I just wanted to remind us that worship doesn't always look the way we expect it to look. Worship doesn't look the way we expect it to look. I want to think for a moment about difficult circumstances that happen in your life. We have this idea in our mind that, oh, well, I don't know, I, I assume you have the idea in your mind. When we talk about worship, we're talking about happy, clappy music that celebrates who God is and his goodness, and we do it with a smile on our face. Um, but what does worship look like when life doesn't go the way that we expect it to go? Uh, you just get a diagnosis that you've got an incurable cancer. You lose a child. Uh, someone you know and love is in a car wreck. The job that you've been depending on for stability, that you've been building your life towards, suddenly falls apart and you lose it. What does worship look like when you've got one of those bosses who's a micromanaging narcissist who makes your life a living nightmare? What does worship look like when we don't feel happy clappy and we don't feel like God is good? Are we supposed to turn up on a Sunday and fake it till we make it, pretend life is good, sing good, cheesy songs of praise and try and will ourselves into a better place of being or is there a different way to worship? Enter the art of lament. Lament is the passionate expression of grief and sorrow. Lament is a worship tool that God gives us that lets us engage him in the middle of our pain. The book of Psalms has been the worship manual of the church for, of the church for 2,000 years, of the people of God for thousands of years before that. Um, and the book of Psalms is a wonderful book filled with emotional expression. I actually used to hate the book of Psalms because it was just a bunch of whining. Um, I love it now because <laughs> I'm a whiner too. Um, but approximately one third of the Psalms are what we call Psalms of Lament. So this worship manual that God gives us to teach us how to engage with him, almost a third of them are whiny, complaining, are honest <laughs> expressions of, uh, of our heart in the midst of pain. A third of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament, yet when we look at worship in the contemporary church, there's almost no lament in any of the things that we, we sing. And so... God decided lament was important enough that a third of the Psalms would contain it. And so by not including it in the way that we worship, we're losing something that's really important that God gave us as a tool for worship and a tool for moving inside of us. 
Um, if the Psalms are a training ground for worship, then we need to take seriously what it teaches us about lament. There's a scholar, uh, Todd Billings, who was diagnosed with incurable cancer, and in that process began to explore lament as a form of worship, and he wrote a book that's called Rejoicing in Lament. And in his chapter on Psalms, uh, here's, here's something of what he writes in this book. It's, it's a fantastic book. Um, while the Psalms reflect a very broad range of human, uh, human emotions, praying the Psalms brings our whole heart before the face of God, reorienting our own vision toward God and his promises. The Psalms are tools for reshaping our desires and perceptions so that they learn to lament in the right things and take joy in the right things. We need the Spirit to reshape our hearts so that we respond with delight, grief, anger, and empathy in a way that is fitting for our love of God and of neighbor. The Psalms provides a pattern that God uses to bring our tears before God and to move us toward deeper trust in the middle of those tears. A final declaration of trust is not dependent on having one's situation fixed or immediately resolved. For while the psalms of lament are psalms of confusion, anger, and fear, they're also psalms of hope, prayers that come before God in hope, making a plea for him to show himself faithful to his promises. Psalm 13 is a good example of a psalm of lament, so let me read this to you. Uh, and just pay attention to the honesty of David as he writes this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Can you imagine singing this on a Sunday morning? How joyous we might feel. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? How long will you leave me writhing in pain? We're like, let's sing Psalm 13, but we'll sing the last three lines. I trust you and your unfailing love. Psalms of Lament tap into something inside of us that I feel like at churches, and families, and sometimes the world around us doesn't really allow us. It taps into this ability to express the true reality of the pain and the confusion and the anger that we feel. So this psalm, uh, we're, we're just going to look through it uh, part by part, but this psalm shows like a four-step process to lament that I want to invite you to engage in today. Uh, and to think about, as you think about what it means to, to worship God. So step number one, turn to God. In the midst of our pain, when bad things happen, we tend to react one of two ways. Uh, if we've trained ourselves in the ways of God, or if we're really aware of our own frailty, we tend to run to God. That's option number one. But many times when things go bad, we do the opposite and we run from God. 
Uh, we want nothing to do with this being that is allowing this pain to happen in our life. The psalmist begins, how long, O Lord, this beautiful, simple statement that is an act of will and of relationship where in the midst of his pain, David makes the decision that though situation is horrible, I'm going to turn my attention back to my Lord. He chooses to run to the Lord in the middle of his pain. In lament, we're choosing to turn to the one who can handle the pain, confusion, anger, and questions that we carry. We're turning to the one who has suffered, the one who knows pain, who knows rejection, who knows loss, who knows abandonment, the one who knows ridicule, who knows when your dreams feel shattered and things don't go the way that we want them to go. The movement turning in pain to God, that movement is worship. We don't even have to open our mouth yet. We don't have to say anything. Uh, We don't have to sing anything. Just that moment that says, in the middle of my anguish, I'm going to turn my attention onto him, is one of the boldest movements of worship that we can engage in our human existence. Notice that he didn't start with a beautiful, eloquent, theological description of the character of God. There's no like, we, we got to address God right first before we express our heart in the middle of pain. Often, this is our core question, right? How long? Why me? Why, oh God? We just turn our heart to him and we allow the pain to pour out of us. Lament draws us to God when we feel like we want to push him away. As I said, it's the boldest thing you can do in the middle of pain. The boldest act of worship is simply to turn your mind and your heart off of the pain in front of you and turn your attention back to him. So step one, simple. Step one of lament, we turn to God. Step two, I love this one and you should love this one too. Complain to God. It's the beautiful invitation of the Psalms I think so often we forget. I don't know why, but somewhere along the lines, growing up in Christianity, we're fed this false idea or we adopt this false idea that you've got to edit your prayers and talk to God in a way that's holy and righteous and got to look a certain way. And then in a prayer gathering, heaven forbid, as we're praying and interceding for one another, someone starts complaining at God about the world roundabout. We think we've got to edit and curate the way that we, we, we speak. But I love David's words here. How long, God, are you going to keep forgetting me? How long are you going to keep hiding from me? How long do I have to keep wrestling with these idiotic thoughts and the pain that I'm carrying inside? How long are you going to let all that stuff have victory over my life? How long, oh Lord? The Psalms give us permission to vent at God. And I think it's good to be reminded that he is big enough to handle our worst complaints. He's big enough to handle our most confusing questions. And he's big enough and loving enough and gracious enough even to take all the name calling and the blaming that we want to throw at him. 
Psalms like the Psalms of Lament give us permission to look at God and say, why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting this happen? This is your fault. And he's like, I know. I paid the price for it. Okay. I know. I know. And I'm taking care of it. He's big enough to handle the biggest things that we can bring against him. And you know you're in the realm of lament when these questions are arising. You know you're in the place of lament when the cry of your heart is, how long, God, will this go on for? Why, God, are you letting this happen? Where are you in the middle of what we're experiencing right now? Sometimes I stand here and I say, we shouldn't be complaining. We shouldn't be grumbling. But the Psalms give us permission to take all of that complaint and all of that grumble and direct us to the one person who can truly handle it and the one person who can do something about it. Lament is a gift because it helps us to open up to our pain and and helps us to enter into the process of healing. It helps us address pain and opens the door to our healing. Without lament as an expression of our life. So remember, almost a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. When it comes to the prayers that we use and the songs that we sing, they're almost exclusively the opposite. So we've cut lament out of our worship experience. Without lament, what happens? If we can't vent those questions and that pain at God, there's only one place it can go. Well, there's two places. It can only go to creation. It can only go to the horizontal. So either we take it all inside and we ruminate on the pain and the anger and the frustration and the hurt and we become bitter and we become resentful and we become negative. Or, and it's usually the same thing, we turn it to the people next to us and we become people that you know these people in your life. You go to meet with them and all they do is complain and gripe and whine. Everything in the world is negative. Nothing is positive because they've never learned to address the negativity that they experience. Uh, if you don't know someone in your life that's that grumbly, complaining person, it might be you. <laughs> I know sometimes it's me. Uh, just don't ask Monica how often it is me. Without lament, we hold on to bitterness and resentment. Without lament, we become chronic complainers. Without lament, we look at the world around us and we only see it through a negative lens. Without lament, we allow the negativity of the world to control our attitude and our way of being in the world. So God gives us the gift through the Psalms and other places in Scripture of showing us that in the middle of pain and anguish, our primary act of worship is to take the complaints to Him. And to allow him to be the one that works the transformation in us so that we can then function differently as we move in the world. So we turn to God. Step two, we complain to God. Step three, we make an appeal to God. The psalmist, after issuing all these questions, looks at God and and makes this request, look at me and answer. It feels like you've turned away from me. I'm not listening. (laughs) Turn back, look at me and answer. How many people have prayed this next prayer in some form? You know, I'm down, I'm low. I just want the spark back in my eyes. I just want that little bit of joy again. Give light to my eyes. 
Because the only other option right now in my life is it feels like death. I think this is the place. This is the place where people come to suicidal ideation. God, there's no hope. There's no way out. The only option is to sleep in death. And then I'm left saying, my enemy won. My foes are rejoicing. And God, that's not who you say you are. And that's not what you say is supposed to be the way for your people. And so we call on God and say, do something different. You hear my complaint. You receive my pain. Now, God, would you move? And lament, we bring the pain and confusion. We vent all to God. We call on him to move. One of the favorite words of the psalmists is this word you might have heard somewhere before. The word is arise. In the middle of pain and anguish, the psalmist looks at God and says, get up off your rear end and do something. God, arise and come to our aid. You said you're the God who watches over his people. Come and show up for your people. You say you're the God who's present in pain. Show me that you're here in the middle of our pain. You say you're the God who heals the sick, so show up and heal our sickness. You say you're the God that came to reconcile the world to yourself. This world is messed up. The church is divided. The world is divided. My family is divided. You said believers are supposed to be agents of reconciliation. You said you gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Raise up reconcilers. Raise up peacemakers. God, come and do what you say you'll do. Lament is where we get honest and gritty with God, and then we call on him and hold him to the things that he said he'll do. Lament is an expression of hope in the midst of hopelessness. Lament doesn't say pretend everything is fine. It doesn't say let's just, you know, let, let's just not look at the glass half empty, we're going to look at it half full. So it's not really hopeless, it's really hopeful. God's going to turn it all out right in the end. Let's just buck up, pretend everything's good. That's not what lament is. Lament is fully embracing the, the apparent hopelessness of the situation. Lament is fully acknowledging the mess that we're in the middle of and saying God promises that there's something different, though I can't see it, and though it doesn't appear that way, I'm going to hold to that hope that though it looks hopeless, there is a solution. Lament should be the primary tool that we turn to in the middle of our hopelessness. Is there anyone in the room that looks at the world around you and sometimes feels like it's hopeless? Is there anyone in the room that wants to see someone in their family come to a deep, passionate, loving relationship with Jesus and just wonders if it will ever happen? Does anyone wonder if we'll ever have a situation again where political leaders can stand on a stage and actually discuss policy rather than just sling accusation at each other? Okay, I'm the only one, right? That's, it's because I'm not from here, right? <laughs> Um, it seems so hopeless. In the middle of hopelessness, lament should be the primary way we turn and worship. So step one, we turn to God. Step two, we have permission to complain to God. Step three, we make our appeal to God. Step four, we declare our trust in God. This is why we like to sing the last part of the psalm and not the rest. 
the psalmist says, but yes, it feels like you've abandoned me. Yes, it feels like you're not moving. Yes, it feels like my enemies are going to be victorious. But I know that scripture says you have unfailing love. So my heart is going to rejoice in the saving work that you're about to do. I'm going to sing of your grace because even though I can't see it right now, I know you have been good to me and I know you will continue to be good to me. And lament, we declare the truth of God even when it doesn't feel like it's reality. We allow the truth of God to reorient our perspective off of the brokenness and the sense of hopelessness about that brokenness we reorient it to look at the brokenness through the lens of the truth of Scripture and the promises of God. And in that place, we allow it to transform us, our heart, our attitude, and for that to then move out into the world and transform the circumstance that we're in. Said at the beginning, we turn to God, the one who's intimately acquainted with brokenness and pain. You remember Jesus' cry from the cross, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guess where he's quoting from? Psalms of lament. On the cross, in the middle of the worst pain you can imagine, his default is to start reciting scripture. From the cross, Jesus cries this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen to what the psalmist originally said. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer by night. But I find no rest yet. In the midst of pain, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of feeling abandoned, forsaken, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises, and you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. Implication, it feels like you've abandoned me. I'm looking for salvation, and I know that this is what you do. So whether I see it or not, I'm going to declare that truth. Another place that you'll see it, not in Psalms, there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to lament. It's a little bit of a stretch because it's really small. Uh, there's a very small book in the Bible dedicated to lament, and I, I, I could just stand here and read you the whole thing, but let me read you a chunk of, uh, of Lamentations chapter 3. And this isn't all going to be up on the screen. I want you to think about the honesty of this. I want you to think of the invitation to turn to God, to complain at Him, to, uh, to, to make appeals toward Him, and then... Uh, and then this declaration of trust. So, so this is uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations. I'm the man who has seen affliction by the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old. I'm feeling that one. And my, has broken my bones. He's besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He's walled me in so I cannot escape. He's weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayers. He's barred my way with blocks of stone. He's made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me. 
and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with the arrows of his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He's filled me with bitter herbs, sated me with gall. He's broken my teeth with gravel. He's trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor's gone and all that I'd hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet, yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. So great is your faithfulness. So I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. I will wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord. What a beautiful invitation we are given. Permission to turn to God in the middle of pain. Permission to take all of the pain, the frustration, the confusion, the questions, and sling them out to plead with him to do the things that he's promised and then to declare these moments of trust. One of my favorite lines of scripture, his mercies are new every morning. Every day when you wake up in the middle of a broken world, every day when you wake up and walk into situations where there's division and infighting every day when you wake up and you've got another day of debilitating pain because of a chronic illness, every day that you have to go in to work and face a, a boss that is horrible to work for, every morning when you get up, his mercy is new. There's a new store of grace and power available for you to draw on, to be able to have hope in the middle of it, to choose to live differently by his empowerment, and even to, to call that power into the situation to bring change. His mercies are new every morning. Lament reorients our vision from the situation we're in back toward his promises. Again, lament doesn't ignore the grief and the pain. It moves through the grief of pain, entering into it fully, moving through it to the place of praise. But what lament doesn't do also, <laughs> lament doesn't stay focused on the complaint and stay sitting in hopelessness, end of story. It pushes through the pain to the place of trust. With everything I've said so far, I'm framing it through us as individuals and the pain that we're experiencing. But part of lament is to cry out to God on behalf of the brokenness of the people around about us. It's at the core of intercession. Part of lament is to ask God to move on behalf of situations in the world that tear our hearts apart. In lament... By entering into the grief and pain, in lament, we enter into the grief and pain of the people around us. It's in lament when you hear of someone, uh, the, the, the death of an innocent child that's happened in your circle, you hear of it. Lament 
enters into the pain and expresses the pain along with the family who are grieving. Lament builds the empathy that we need to walk with them in the middle of their pain. And more than that, lament, it it activates something in us as we tap into that pain. We're not meant to just carry pain and do nothing about it. We're meant to be transformers of pain. We take the pain and we transform it into love or into activism in the world. So part of the process of lament, part of the intercessory world, in lament we feel the pain of the people around about us and as we feel the pain we can no longer stay silent. We can no longer do nothing and so it causes us to step up out into the world to meet with people, to minister to their needs, to give voices to the voiceless, to start ministries and organizations that help people that are broken. It starts in lament. We're going to be engaging in 24-7 prayer starting today. The room is right here behind these walls. Part of the process of 24-7 prayer, we set aside the week and we say for this week, we're going to break up into one-hour chunks. We're going to commit to going into that room and we're going to give ourselves for an hour to intercede in for the world around us. Part of what you're invited to do as you go into that room is be honest about the brokenness in your life. Be honest about the brokenness in the world around you and lament. I love coming in, I've said this before, I love coming in in the middle of the night because there's no one in the building and so I can scream all the things at God that I want to scream and no one hears me. The neighbors might. (laughs) There might be some phone calls, someone's dying over there. Um, But it's an invitation to come and enter into the pain of the world. It's an invitation to come and bring your greatest sorrow to the feet of Jesus and ask him to move. It's it's an invitation to look at the brokenness of the world and plant a stake in the ground that says, though this is what I see, yet I put my hope in the God who brings transformation. So four steps of lament. Number one, turn to God in the middle of your pain. Number two, you've got permission to bring your worst complaints to God. Here's my challenge. Do your worst, right? Bring your best or worst, whatever way you look at it, complaints and anger and frustration and sling as many names at them as you want and see what happens. Step three, we appeal for him to move in the middle of it. And step four, we make a declaration of trust. In a moment, we're about to re-enter worship through music, but there's some things that I want us to think about. I want you to take a moment and engage in lament. And so here's the template for what I want you to do. Um, you're gonna, you can do it on your phone grab your notes on your phone. You can do it in a piece of paper. There's some paper, some post-it notes sitting on the tables. There's pens in front of you. If you got the bulletin, you've got notes there. If you don't want to move, you can do it in the back of a connect card. I just want you to start by saying, God, and I want you to list all your complaints. And I just want you to put the word yet and put one declaration of who he is at the end of it. You can do it while we're singing. Um, You can take that 
you can keep it with you. If you want to, you can take it, go stick it in the prayer room. There's mountain putty up there. Don't go in this side because the basketball hoop's not out yet. So I would say go in that side. Or maybe we can move it so you can get in. Um, you can go stick it on the wall somewhere, put it on a table. Um, if you want to sing the songs as an act of lament, feel free to do it. Um, but we're going to sing. I want you to enter into the lament. I want you to invite you to lament for what you're experiencing in your life. I want you to lament for the world round about us. I want you to lament for the innocent people in Israel and in Gaza who have been affected by the fighting. I want you to lament for the people in Russia and Ukraine who go to sleep tonight without a home or without family. I want you to lament for the people in the room who deal with chronic pain. I want you to lament uh, for people in the room that have lost kids, who have miscarried, who have wanted kids forever and never had them. I want you to lament for the single person that desperately longs to be married. I want you to lament for the person whose marriage is struggling and suffering. I want you to enter into lament. And through this act, we worship by being honest in the presence of God. So let me pray. God, I thank you that you're a God that wants the fullness of who we are, that we don't have to fake having it all together, that we don't have to fake being people of hope, that we don't have to fake liking what we see in the world or what we experience. God, I thank you that you invite us to bring all of ourselves, all of the ugliness, all of the brokenness and bring it to you. God, alongside that, I thank you that you're big enough, that you're big enough to take our worst complaints, that you're big enough to take our biggest accusations. I thank you that you're willing to receive the blame. And even though uh, you're not the one perpetuating these acts, that you are willing to pay the price to bring transformation. And God, I thank you that that's who you are the God who knows pain, the God who intercedes for us from a position of weakness, the God that knows everything we've suffered because you became human to suffer on our behalf. And I thank you that you didn't stay dead, but that you rose from the dead, the reminder that death is not the last word, that though the world seems hopeless at times, though our situation can be filled with pain, you're the God of hope, and of transformation. So God, today we worship you in lament. So God, would you receive our prayers, the cries of our heart, and would you change us in the name of Jesus.